Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we're going to unpack the first of our connecting practices from our new parenting curriculum called Cultivate Connection, and it is to be curious. And to do so, we've got Dr. Rachel Peterman, a clinical school psychologist, and Becca McKay, who is in the social work field and um, has been back at ETC for a while now, helping write Cultivate Connection. Uh, but we brought both of them on today because we want to talk about why being curious as a parent or as a caregiver, as an adult, giving care to a child is so important. Um, it really does serve as a foundational principle for everything that we are ever going to um, either uh, recommend or give advice for from, from an ETC standpoint. And so um, it's, it's vitally important um, in the life of a parent. And so we want to talk about that first as we kick off this series of talking about our connecting practices. And so uh, we'll do that in just a moment with Becca and with Dr. Peterman. Before we get to that interview with Becca and Dr. Peterman, though, I want to remind you that our friends at Ryan and Rose have made a special discount code available for listeners of the ETC podcast. Um, it's an unbelievable discount. It's 20% off of your total order at Ryan and Rose. It couldn't have come at a better time because their June collection has just launched. There's all kinds of new products and new uh, colorways and all all that um, all available on the website at ryanandrose.co. Um, Ryan and Rose, I mean, you know, if you've been listening for a while, um, they provide families across the globe with cute, safe, and functional products, um, redefining the baby industry with guidance from the Lord. Now, the thing is, it is not just baby products. It's not just family products. Um, there are things on there for everybody. So whether it's a universal bottle holder or you're buying passies and passy clips for uh, your kids or for a baby shower coming up, um, you're going to find safe, functional uh cute things for your kids um, at Ryan and Rose. And they have uh, been big supporters, big fans of our program for a long time. And so uh, they want to make a special discount available for ETC listeners. And it is ETC20, code ETC20 at checkout to get 20% off of your total order at Ryan and Rose and support a company that is also supporting um, a bunch of incredible work happening across the globe. So head to ryanandrose.co for more info or to buy stuff from their new June collection. Now, without any further ado, it is our interview with Dr. Peterman and Becca McKay about being curious. Well, as I mentioned in the open, we've got Dr. Rachel Peterman here from ATC as well as Becca McKay. And so we're going to talk today about our first connecting practice. We, we introduced the idea last week um, and um, obviously, you know, Becca, you're part of this, this painstaking process <laughs> to rewrite curriculum, um, which did take literally several years. And so um, if you don't mind, why don't you kind of set up for today kind of the connecting practice we're going to talk about, and then we'll get into it with uh, Rachel and, and talk more about it then. Absolutely. So today we're talking about being curious, which is really kind of the foundation of all of the connecting practices, because we can't really do any of the other things that we want to do until we're curious and we start looking at things with like a different mindset. Um, so when we're curious, we can be reflective of ourselves and observant of not only our kid, but also the environment around them. The environment is the people, the places, the activities, all the stuff that they have to engage with. So when we're curious, it just allows us to think more deeply about what is it that we're bringing to the table? 
what is it that our kid is bringing to the table and how can we move forward in a positive adult-child relationship? Um, It helps us move from being automatic to thoughtful and from reactions to responses. We, um, like we mentioned last episode, each core component has each connecting practice has three core components. So for be curious, kind of the ideas that we unpack in our course are being mindful of our history, which is like, how were we parented? What have we been through in our life? What are we bringing to the relationship? And then our attachment, be mindful of attachment, which is something that you can look back. We've got so much content about attachment. It's so, so foundational to who we are as ETC. And then being mindful of why is like, thinking about behaviors as communication and not only our kids' behaviors, but also ours, like Mm -hmm. looking a little deeper and digging into the why there. So that's our practice and those are our three core components and it comes first because in real life it has to come first too. Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) I think, you know, unfortunately for us as parents, like almost every time that we begin a conversation about a topic, whether it's, you know, one of our professionals here um, in Memphis or whether it's, you know, whether it was a Mona Taylor Hook mentioned this, Tina mentioned this, it's like, it's always starts with us, right? Like it always starts with us considering our own history and our own um, stuff that we're bringing to the table. And I never, that's the place I want to look last. Like I (laughs) I don't ever want to know that this behavior I'm seeing is actually something that is probably at the core of it, something I need to unpack my own self, like why it's driving me so crazy. And so, um, Rachel, I think when, when we talk about being curious and like, you know, a few weeks ago in the show, we talked about uh, seeing the need behind the behavior and all of that. What, what does that bring up in you as you think about it? I mean, both as a therapist, as a parent, like, you know, why, why is it such an important thing for us to start with when we think about this? Well, The word why, which you just said like multiple times, I think is often our first question when you look at behavior, like why is this happening? Mm. So you're asking why am I, why is my child doing this activity? Why are they frustrated? Why are they throwing this thing? Why am I so upset about it? Um, Sometimes why is somebody else so upset about it? Um, I know there are things that bother me that don't bother my husband and vice versa. And I'm like why aren't you irritated about this, (laughs) right? And so that is a clear difference between what I'm bringing to the table, what he's bringing to the table, and then what is actually going on with our kiddo. So that why question, I think, kind of comes through, and we've got to ask ourselves, like, why is this happening? And then what that, once we know that, we can better understand the need and be able to meet that need. Mm. All right, Becca, I mean, we start off talking about considering our own what we're, what we're bringing to the table, our own history, all that. When when you hear that, like, there's a time, I mean, obviously you worked in schools extensively for a while, and did you begin to notice even in your work with kids at the schools, like, sometimes you're more easily triggered than you should have been because of something that, you know, was from your own past? Oh, man, 100%. I think, I think that I, so I'm somebody who has pretty much been pretty obedient my whole life. So when somebody in any kind of authority says, we should do this, I'm like, okay, I want to do it. I don't want to mess up. I want to do it right. I want to be perfect. So then translate to I'm now in quote unquote authority in a school. And it was like, I was just like baffled. I'm like, how are these kids? Like, I can never imagine being eight years old and looking at an adult and being like, no, like I just can't. (laughs) And so 
and then what you just said, Rachel, is really getting me thinking because it's like with other adults, I can be like, man, why are you so mad about this and I'm not or vice versa? But with kids, it's like, you shouldn't be this mad. So I think I went into schools with just like, why in the world is not being the line leader making you this mad? Why in the world is that kid bumping into you or looking at you making you this mad? But I wasn't coming at it from like a humble, genuine, why is that upsetting to you? I was coming at it from like a this is ridiculous. You should stop feeling <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think whenever we think about the why with adults, I can be so much more compassionate and like, oh man, I like, like you said, Rachel, I've definitely felt the like, why are you not as mad at, at, as me with like friends or my sisters or anybody? But with kids, it was the opposite. I was projecting onto them what I thought they should or shouldn't have feelings about mm. versus trying to understand okay, but really why? And I think, you know, in early, when I was in the schools, it was before my ETC days and an early ETC training really started to change my perspective when I learned about the brain because it was like the stress responses, that chemistry stuff really helped me start to shift. Then I turned the question on myself and it was like, why is my answer to every kid's question no every time? That was the culture of the school was, no, you can't stand up. No, you can't sharpen your pencil. No, you can't sit by your friend. No, you can't ask a question. And it was a no culture. So the first two big things that I had to like wrestle with was why are kids feeling the way they're feeling? And why am I saying no all the time? And those are kind of the two big shifts that I made, I think, early on, like way before I knew any of the strategies or even what to do next. Those are kind of the first two that popped up for me. I like how you said, why am I saying no all the time? Because through what I've learned with ETC um, and TBRI, asking kind of the flip of that is why can't I say yes? Mm -hmm. Mm. So if I'm asking that that more positive from like a more positive perspective I'm yeah. like okay what happens if I do say yes like yeah. what is this actually going to allow them to do so that's helped me a little mm. bit just to sort of flip it around um I don't know I think that helps yeah for sure well and when we look at our own attachment history Rachel can you give us just kind of the like why does that matter our own attachment history and then how might that play into this also Well, I think, um, like Becca was saying earlier, I know we have so much content on attachment, so I don't want to go too deep, but I would say that it's really important that we're recognizing what we're bringing to the table from an attachment perspective of, are we dismissing that feeling? Mm -hmm. Like Becca was talking about, like, you shouldn't feel this way. You know, is that where we're coming from? And is that why we're thinking that they shouldn't feel that way? Going back to my why question. Mm -hmm. Or is it, oh, no, um, I have to do this. Or why aren't you more upset? Because maybe you're almost in mesh. Like, I'm upset. Why aren't you upset? Right. Right? Or or are you kind of getting it more right? Is there a more secure attachment where Mm -hmm. you're starting to really question, what am I doing? What are they doing? And why do we each feel this way? And then responding, not out of that emotion, but out of what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of pulls that out. So I think that can be helpful. Yeah. I, I was even thinking about a situation that we had this morning where like I... Uh, I can't be too specific. So I'll just say I found myself being irrationally frustrated about something that nobody else around me saw as an issue or a problem. And it wasn't until I then kind of went back to like, we had car trouble this morning. So all of a sudden we had the dance of like, 
now getting everybody, the five different places they mm-hmm. had to be in a short time instead of dividing and conquering. And then, you know, after this thing at school is over, we got to go somewhere else and get this person here, then get to the office and then get back. And so like in the moment when a kid didn't, you know, operate as quickly as I wanted them to in a particular way, I now I'm going like, well now, and I'm projecting all of the day's frustration or craziness onto this one child who is just super overwhelmed because of loud cheering in the room we were in, right? Mm -hmm. And so like uh, thinking for about two seconds, being curious about my own stuff for about two seconds, let me remember like, that's why I'm so stressed out. That's not their fault in this moment. Like Mm -hmm. this is an individual response that makes perfect sense based on what I know of the, so I, now I'm curious about mm. what this person's going through and if they've got some sensory stuff where they get overloaded very easily with loud noises, well, then all of a sudden I can see that and go, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, it makes sense why I'm upset too. And then we can both kind of collectively be like, all right, deep breath, let's move mm-hmm. on to the next step, you know? So it doesn't make the situation less stressful, but if we know the reason why, it helps us to take the emotion out of it to like not level that emotion at that person. Like you you were talking about like having an appropriate response, like, like leveling our response at the actual situation and not over emotionalizing it into Mm the, is that a phrase over emotionalizing? Sure. Can be. I like We'll take it. We should (laughs) put that that in the, in the new curriculum. Um, so like not over emotionalizing all of that into the situation allows us then to just like kind of keep cool heads and address the situations and move on. Right. And so, um, all right. So kind of our first core competency. Core component. Core component. We're looking at um, ourselves. Second one is? Attachment. And the third one is the why. And what's funny about the core components as we were making them, JD, is like, uh, I think as humans, we're drawn to like step-by-step lists. And when we were making this curriculum, I mean, if you take a Cultivate Connection course, we talk about be curious in probably like 10 out of the 18 modules. Yeah. So it's one of those like things where you're just entwined and it's all working together. And I love how Rachel just said, when you understand your own attachment, it helps you understand your history that helps you know what you're bringing into that exact moment by moment, which can help you understand the why. So they all kind of play together. And I think that that's kind of a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes I feel like it's easy to be curious in all those three ways with like big repetitive situations. If you've got a kid who's like, I don't want to go to school and it happens one day and it happens two days and then you're a semester in and they're like chronically absent because you can't get them to go to school. That's one of those times where it's like, man, I can step back and really ask why. I think what you just described in the like loud auditorium, it's so much harder to be curious when it's those day-to-day moments, those little things. And that's where like being a reflective person person, being a reflective adult, over time, I feel like you get more comfortable thinking about it in those moments. So like you're somebody who's been like enmeshed in this content for so long, you had the like wherewithal to pause for two seconds. But for a lot of us, it's so hard in the moment. Like after the explosion, we're like, oh, (laughs) maybe I was hungry (laughs) and my car wasn't working and whatever else. But for me, I feel like those day-to-day moments, man, it's so, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road and that's where you can really see growth in your relationship is when it's that day-to-day. What have you found to be true about that? As you were talking, I was thinking about the therapeutic role and Mm -hmm. as a therapist with different families, often they would come in with a bigger 
situation, like not going to school or, or, you know, this constant problem working with peers or something like that. They don't get along with their siblings. Mm -hmm. And so you can stop and assess and ask the why and be curious about all the things and work through and find some good reasons, figure it out. That's great. And that can help what seems to be a big issue, but the actual day to day, the the situation changes every time. And so you're constantly having to ask with this new set of data. So this is my like psychology mind, you know, coming to play of like, okay, now we've got all this other data because it's a new setting and there's it's louder and there's more people and you're not used to that. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to reassess what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And that does take practice. And I think it just, you have to keep working at it and giving yourself grace when you don't get it right or looking back when you're like, Oh wait, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. So stopping to say that's okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll keep working on it. And we've been talking a lot at ETC about how like it's the end of the year. So everybody, like every day, somebody's going to an end of your program. Somebody's going to a field day. So many somebody's days. going to a graduation. Um, I know that dates us a little bit of where we are in the year, but we're there. We are right there at the end of the school year. Yeah. And there's all these one-time events. And so it can be easy to kind of fly off the handle ourselves or for our kids to, because things just aren't the normal routine. Right. And there's like different situations facing us. And maybe... We've got a kid who didn't get the award they wanted, or maybe they didn't win the field day game they wanted to win. So again, for my history, it's like reminding myself, man, they can be upset about that. That's okay. Like, it's okay for this kid to be upset that his team didn't win the field day race. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, field day is a list of things to check off and then keep it moving so we can get to (laughs) the end of the week. Like, let's get to the end of this, please. So I just think about like, Man, that day-to-day, those moment-by-moment. Rachel, how do you feel like people can do it? Like, how do we become more reflective and curious in the day-to-day? What have you found to be helpful? Oh, that's a really good question. What do I do? I I, I feel like I I just ask. Go ahead, one. Yeah, I was going to say, I have one for this, actually. Like, Go for it. And actually, at the assembly this morning, we were at. So this is an athletic awards banquet or whatever. And so one of the coaches got up and just said, just want to remind um, all of y'all, we talked about in practice every day. My one thing to leave with you is just to remember that practice makes permanent. Mm. And that the more we practice things, and, and they you know, would harp on that for school, for homework, for practice, for you know, habits of putting jerseys away after practice and putting you know, balls back on the rack when they're done and all that. Like those practices that they did every day made things permanent in their mm-hmm. brain. And they would remind them like all of your habits, all of your things, like the repetition of doing that all the mm-hmm. time embeds it in your brain as a permanent habit that you can go to. And so I think, you know, that wasn't some hero act of me like being patient in a moment this morning. I wanted to just like scream and yell and like throw an equal tantrum like because right. I felt inside the way that this kid was expressing themselves outside. Uh, and there's lots of people around watching, which also helps me have a patient response because I'm a people pleaser and I care what everyone thinks way too much. Yeah. And so... So all those things, but it is that this is also the youngest and there's lots of practice we've had with the other ones of messing that up along the way. And so because of that, that repetition and all the times of me flying off the handle and seeing it not work, I think there is a final, like there's starting to be some, some habits patterns. in place yeah. yeah, where I can go, oh gosh, this is happening again. But I can also just be patient for a moment and make myself low 
two hands and two eyes mm-hmm. and then like start asking a few questions and making sure, you know, do my checklist. Are we in a quiet place right now? Is anybody else looking at us? Can we get around the corner somewhere where we have a bit of privacy and there's not this like, you know, like swirl of stuff around us. And none, in, in the beginning, when we first started trying to parent this way, oh my Lord have mercy. It took <laughs> an act of God for that to happen the first time. Cause I'm like, I'm spending 10 minutes remembering the checklist in my head and the kid is already 10 years down the road. They've already moved on. Yeah. And instead now the repetition. So, so if you're just getting started parenting this way, or you're, you're thinking like, well, how the crap do I remember that right in the moment? The answer is just like, you will over time, but practicing it and just trying and then trying again and trying yeah. again is one way that it that it happens. JD, though, you also described a whole routine related to that. Yeah. You said you stop mm-hmm. and you get eyes and hands. That's not the, exactly the words you used, yeah. right? Yeah. But you have sort of a plan mm-hmm. that you've already set in place for how am I going to pause and respond instead of react, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you give yourself that moment mm-hmm. to think about what are you going to do? And then you've already thought about what this kiddo may need because you've thought ahead of time, you've experienced, you've learned some, from some past experiences, obviously, some yeah. of the things you mentioned yeah. that might help him or her. Um, so I think that might be a mm-hmm. good tip, too, is sort of having a plan for when, whether you're in public or, or at home, whatever the situations are, thinking, okay, if this is triggering for me, how am I going to stop and respond? Is it I stop and take three deep breaths first and mm, then I respond? Or is really it good. I go through this moment of connecting, which I love that, of like getting eyes and hands from your kiddo and making sure that they're with you. And yeah. just that moment to do that, you're already slowing yourself down. Yeah. And then engaging in that next, okay, now I'm going to go through and start asking the why questions or answering them because you already yeah. had a bunch of answers. You're like, yeah. I don't know what the answer is right now, but it could be... Right. They right, need a quiet right. space. We need to talk somewhere else. They need to get around mm. the corner. So you had already thought yeah. through that. So I think that's great. I'm, and I'm really curious for you, like both of you guys, as you're sharing stories, JD, you're talking about, I know that I get embarrassed around people when they're watching me. Like that's, that's number one, really vulnerable to share. And number two, like, man, yeah, I feel that way. Like, I'm like, oh, you're talking and I'm like, oh, I'm resonating with that. I feel very like, oh my gosh, people are watching me and they're judging me. And especially if people know that you're trying to engage with kids in this trauma-informed, detachment-based way, there's like an extra layer of pressure of like, man, I got to prove that this works to people that don't believe it. (laughs) And so I just think that was so insightful. And same with you, Rachel, with talking about like the things that like kind of Uh, push your buttons or like get you upset or whatever how have you guys kind of like walked through that process I'm just I'm just sitting here curious (laughs) how have you walked through that process of like what are the things that really bother me like what really brings up that kind of response in me I think for me my husband has been quite helpful in helping me figure Mm -hmm. that out Mm -hmm. and I had my mom living with us for a number of years my mother-in-law so there are people and friends just people around me that are like noticing when I'm getting more upset and so them pointing out to me in a loving way because they are supportive Mm -hmm. people being like I noticed you got really upset about this and I'm watching them not get upset like we were talking about earlier and so they're able to stay calm and then kind of help me through it and then Mm -hmm. I can step back 
and be like, why? Why did I do this? Mm-hmm. Was this my history that was playing in? Mm-hmm. Was this really not safe for my kid? You know, yeah. maybe it was. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're right. Sometimes that yeah. sort of bigger response is because it's a bigger deal and we need to be more concerned. Mm-hmm. But often, mm-hmm. even when that's the case, we want to make sure that we respond in a calm, controlled way. Mm-hmm. So even the big deals, we still need to catch our breath before we mm-hmm. engage in trying to handle it. I think that's yeah. helpful, hearing from others and then having that self-reflection of, okay, wait, what is really going yeah. on here? What's, this, what's the deal here? I mean, I think one of the hardest things to, to do, if we do understand the brain, it's really helpful for ourselves, like you mentioned, like, do I take three deep breaths first before yeah. I go in? I mean, because there are times where, I mean, and all of us, I, I wish we didn't. All of us have those instant triggers, right? Like this morning, like I've been worn down over time. We do have four kids. So by now I'm with this hardened, grizzled veteran of parenting. We're like, <laughs> I can have a little bit of a measure of patience before I like jump into a situation. But all of us do have our instant triggers where it's like, some, yeah. Somebody does something and you, you just, before you even realize it, you're in your, like your amygdala's flipped and you're in your survival response, whatever that might be. And so I, I think that the consistency of, of having like your support team actually be able to say stuff to you that they notice. Yeah. And some people are more approachable than others. Some are less approachable than others. Like what, what feels non-negotiable, you mentioned your husband, like you know, my wife's been the same for me, but we have friends who also are on this path. And sometimes they don't even have to say anything. Like I can, like you were saying, I can watch them not react. And there's a measure of like, I mean, it starts as competitiveness. Like why are they better than this, better at me than this? Mm-hmm. And I can then kind of think about, oh, here's these factors. And before I realize it, I have kind of evaluated like, oh, they have these factors going on, but I don't have, I'm, I don't have this or I do have this or I've also got this. That, and I'm starting to realize what might be causing me to, to feel this way. And then I can slow down and react. And there is, there, there is a measure, if you've got a, a safe group of people, right. be it family, friends, whatever, there is a healthy measure to peer pressure that exists within that kind of mm-hmm. group. Now it can turn toxic really fast, but when you do have people who are, you know, they love you and you know that you love them and there's a, there's a, a solid base of relationship there. When you see, you know, a side eye looking at you like, Oh, why are you losing it like this? Or um, somebody pulls you aside to say something to you. Sometimes it can be embarrassing. And also if it is within that safe group, it's helpful. It yeah. is helpful. And we have to be willing to look at things from the outside. Like I think about just having been in athletics, like, you know, most of my life and now having kids who compete and stuff or, or do, you know, stuff in the arts, like watching your own film is miserable yeah. and so helpful. So like when, when we start the podcast, I would listen back to it and make sure there's nothing messed up before we put it out. And it was just the most miserable hour of my week every week. Like I just would despise, hear my own voice. I'm like, oh God, why do you sound that way? Like, oh. right. And then I'll hear, you know, droning on too long about X, Y, or Z thing. But then next, the next week, I, my questions were a little bit tighter. Like I made sure mm-hmm. I used my outdoor voice or whatever. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, when we can't watch our own, we're not recording ourselves all the time, right? So like we can't go back and watch our own films sometimes. So our, our, friends, our family, they can be our film for us to help us know what we're doing wrong. Um, 
along I'm the gonna, way. I'm going to push you there. You're not doing anything wrong. Well, but, <laughs> but you know journey. what I'm saying. But, but yeah, yeah, but like where you take a misstep or where you do like let your emotions get the best of you. Yeah. I think for me, I've been so thankful. I'll call you out, JD. You and your wife like adopted me. I mean, I moved to Memphis. I was straight out of college, baby, baby Becca, and just invited me into your living room. You lived across the street from the school that we worked at, and I stopped by three to five times a week and was just in your space getting to see you parent. And then some other folks that I go to church with invited me in their homes in the same way. And then I ended up in grad school living with a family that had a five and three-year-old at the time. And so got to see their like day-to-day life. And I think seeing different people's families helped me kind of see, oh man, like so-and-so's house rules are blank, but so-and-so's are blank. And so it just really did kind of broaden. Like I said, at the beginning, I was raised in a very like black and white, right and wrong, yes, no, obedient, disobedient kind of a way. And I think having those friendships really showed me, man, we bring a lot of ourselves to that equation. We bring a lot of like what we think and how we've been parented and what our parents' parents thought and what our friends think. And so I just think that step back with those safe relationships to just see it for what it is. Like, it's okay to have a line that's this is right and this is wrong. Mm-hmm. We all have that. It's just being aware of it and not letting it get the best of us or not letting it go, un, um, I don't know the right word, like unobserved, like not letting it yeah. be an automatic thing, but making it an intentional like, okay, yeah, I'll throw out an example. Like in all those homes that I just named, in some of those houses, it's okay for kids' feet to be on the couch and in some it's not. And if you were to ask yeah. a parent like, I mean, I've seen parents and, yeah, even in my own family, explode at a kid who put their feet on the couch versus I've seen other houses where everybody just kind of snuggles up together on the couch. So that's like one example of like, man, it's okay to have a rule. We don't put our feet on the couch. That's great. I had a, a, one of my best friends came over. We just moved into a new house. She came over because it was my birthday this weekend. And um, one of my sweet buddies, their feet was on the couch. I didn't care. I don't really care. And she was like, hey man, remember, did it in a very gentle way. Hey man, remember, we don't put our feet on the couch. And so like she was bringing her values into my house in a super gentle and intentional way versus at other times when we're just like fly, like why the heck are you continuing to put your feet on the couch? Like, right. so you know what I mean? It's not bad to have those boundaries. It's just knowing them and being yeah. able to communicate them and being able to hold them in different kind of environments for your kids. Like there's just no one way I don't think. And so I hope when people hear even the three of us talk, like we all internalize this a different way. Like that's just what it is. And I think culture has a lot to do with it. Our parents have a lot to do with it. What we believe has a lot to do with it. And again, all those things are awesome. It's just not letting it get the best of us in those day-to-day moments to where we're so disconnected from our kids because we're just reacting, reacting, reacting. So, man, I'm, I'm thankful to my friends who have, like, pulled the curtain back and allowed me into their space to be able to see it. You stole my word earlier. I kept thinking about it, and then you had to say it, (laughs) was observe. Yeah, it's Being curious is so much about stopping to observe. Mm -hmm. So whether you're observing other people and and families and how that dynamic plays out, Mm -hmm. or you're observing yourself, or you're Mm -hmm. observing your kid, or you're observing the whole situation, it's like stopping to look and and just evaluate what's going on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it means you do something, and sometimes it means you don't. But at least that being curious is about 
just taking that minute to stop and observe what's happening Mm -hmm. before you then react Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. respond. And I think about all the time, you know, whether it's uh, talking to family members or just new people that we're meeting when we're, when, you know, when the cat comes out of the bag and people notice that we don't parent in the same way that Mm -hmm. we were parented growing up, there's always this kind of moment of like, questioning that you get and like why and you can see the wheels turning and usually the question that comes out is like okay but but like you just let your kids you know do all this stuff and then you're thinking that you might be wrong before you correct them for something like what's the deal with that and I think that to keep the end in mind like to start with the end in mind and the end of of parenting is like our goal is that we've done everything we can to prepare our kids to thrive the best they can in the world right and it's going to look different for every human being that comes through one of our houses and some are going to be with us in home forever. And we're teaching them how to like mm-hmm. do the best they can in that environment. Some are going to fly out of the house like a rocket ship at age 18 and ping pong all over the world and do mm-hmm. their thing. Some are going to, you know, follow the, the like conveyor belt kind of American plan. They'll go to, you know, out of high school and into college and into a workplace entry level job and they'll just climb mm-hmm. the corporate ladder or whatever. Like, so all of our kids are going to be in a different space coming out, but how can we prepare them the best they can as they leave the, as they leave, you know, different seasons of life to thrive in the world. And one of the most helpful and honestly magnetic qualities of another adult is somebody who does not just fly off the handle, assuming they're right all the time about everything yeah. and like go through life with the, you know, the iron fist out front, just bulldozing their way through. Because we always think about that person and think, man, how does this person not think, see how they're affecting everyone around them, right? Well, that can start with us modeling that now and modeling being willing to repair things when we've gone wrong mm-hmm. or, or when we've uh, been overly emotional to make it not a big deal in our homes for us to go, yeah, you know what? Earlier I was wrong for the way that I responded here. And we have to be careful how we do that, right? Because we're not wanting to, to like then teach our kids that their response is like, well, mom and dad always say they're wrong. So I guess I'm the one that's right. And I could, you know, whatever. Like right. we're not trying to send that message, but being able to repair and say, you know, and I forget who it was that, I think it was Mona that said this when she was on, like, hey, buddy, you know what? This is, this is my first time parenting a 12-year-old. And, you know, and sometimes I'm going to get things wrong. And here's the great news. It's your first time being 12. And so you're going to get some things wrong too with this. And so we can both figure out where we've made mistakes. Then we can repair them and start and try again next time, you know. And I think that simple model of like, I don't have to have all the answers. I'm going right. to try to figure it out as I go. But I'm also going to constantly be evaluating and, and trying to figure out what's going on does strengthen those skills. So as you grow older, like, again, that practice makes permanent. Like, if you're seeing your parents constantly be curious and try to figure out, you know, the needs behind behavior or the why that's happening all around us, it makes you curious as well. And so then we, we've noticed one of our one of our kids who is, is, you know, the most natural child care person in our family, like, you know, she does do some of that automatically now. Like we'll mm-hmm. notice her neighbor kids like doing that and be like, oh, is this too loud for you here? Let's, let me help you cover your ears. And I sit there watching. I'm like, well, now we're done. We can be done parenting <laughs> now. It. See this <laughs> happening? Like, That's it. Reached your goal. And as we get older, that obviously like pays huge dividends as an adult in life, right? And so. 
I think too, a big thing that we talk about in the course is this idea of offering. So I love like thinking about JD, whether your kid is the kid who does the thing that you thought they would do. They graduate high school, they go to college, then they get a job, then they get married, then they have kids and you're a grandparent. If that's their life or if they're the kid that's going to live with you forever and you're figuring out what that looks like. I love that it, it really is that the goal is about the relationship that we have with them. The goal is to continually offer and relationships are a two way street. Like there's not, there's two sides to it. And we often want to control the kids side. Like we want to make them (laughs) have a good relationship with us. And that's just not how it works. So I think the like being curious and letting go a little bit, just letting go a little bit of that pressure and being committed to, I can offer myself to this kid And I can offer co-regulation and I can offer my presence and I can offer, you know, all of our other connecting practices are about what we can offer. But I think this one is like, man, stop for a second, think about your own history and your own expectations and then like make decisions about how to continue to offer yourself to that kid, Mm -hmm. no matter if the expectations match what you think they will or not. Really yeah, good. Those expectations are tricky, right? Because we have these beliefs about what should happen or what we think is going to happen mm-hmm. or our history and our preconceived things, right? We're bringing that back to the table. Right. And so we think it's a certain way. Um, and, you know, sometimes you're navigating that with other people as well, like a spouse and trying mm-hmm. to work through that. And you might have different ideas of what is expected. But ultimately, I think when you go back to that, that curiosity too, when those behaviors show up, whether they're, I mean, I think it's important too, not just like a challenging behavior or a misbehavior mm-hmm. or something that went wrong, mm-hmm. but just constantly asking like, why are you thinking that? Why are you doing that? Why did you make this choice versus that choice? Mm-hmm. Um, can help us just to better understand the kids. Yeah. Um, and then it helps them understand themselves because they're not always asking themselves why. How often, I mean, this just happens all the time where we say, well, why'd you do that? Actually, you know, thinking they're going to answer, right? And they're like, (laughs) I don't know, like I wanted to, right? Right. Which isn't really the answer that we're looking for because there's more behind the Mm -hmm. because I wanted to that we've got to figure out. So the better we understand and ask what what motivates them, why are they doing the things that they're doing, the better we can help them understand themselves and their own values and then they can move forward and we're supporting them in who they are, mm-hmm. not who we expect them to be. Mm-hmm. Well, something that Austin, my wife, does really well is, you know, on this on the same along that same line of thought, also being curious when things go fantastic and yeah. when things go great. And so there'll be times where we'll be, you know, talk I was out of town this past weekend and um and sometimes we're out of town, things will will go really, really well. And she'll automatically kind of say, which and she'll rattle off like the 10 factors that were happening that helped contribute to that going well. Mm-hmm. And I follow that away. And so if she's out of town, then I'm starting to remember back, oh man, this actually worked really great. And this was kind of the flow of how they put things together throughout the day. So then it's helping me to be successful too. And so I think mm-hmm. that like, it, it is good to just kind of be in a state of just looking for the why behind everything, like yeah. positive and negative, right? Like if, if something, if challenging behavior comes out, we, we check it. But also when somebody thrives, mm-hmm. like let's figure out like what contributed to that or, or at least like just kind of file away some of the circumstances. And then when some patterns emerge, then it, we can help 
predict and like put them in great uh, situations to succeed, you know? And so. you just gave the best example. Like, why is your kiddo asking somebody, hey, is this too loud? Do you want to cover your ears? You know the why. The why is because you guys chose to parent this way a long time ago. And so I think yeah. it's also like encouragement for you to keep going. It's like, yeah. okay, like this is the kind of people that we as a family want to be. These are the kind of values that we want to have. And so like you said, modeling that. I just love, that's a great example of like, sometimes you don't get to see a lot of fruit. And so Mm -hmm. when you see the fruit, it's just really a good, it's good to pause and like take that encouragement and be excited about it and be like thankful for it because it's sometimes the labor (laughs) that goes into getting that kind of fruit is just long and hard and, and deep. And so it's good to just kind of pause and I love that. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been great. <laughs> I think, um, you know, th- it is one of those topics, as you said, Becca, this is going to, this theme is going to come out almost every week mm-hmm. throughout um, our conversation. So we'll definitely talk about some different angles along with that. But I think as a, as a foundation, we've, we've covered a, a good bit of ground this morning. Um, any last thoughts from either of y'all before we head out today? I think I would, I would just encourage all of you to, to try to take that pause and try to ask yourself sort of that why, what's happening right now, and then what can I do to help that situation, right? Like being mm-hmm. curious about what's going on, what's what's going on with kiddo, what's going on with you, and then making a choice based on that, not yeah. just that emotional reaction that we were talking about earlier. That's great. I just love that we talked about it a lot, but just starting with yourself, what bothers me? What annoys me? What pushes my buttons? And like you said, JD, maybe ask your spouse or your best friend, like ask people that can like be honest with you without it hurting your feelings and just start to pay attention to those things. And again, not because that means you're a bad person or a bad parent, but just like paying attention to that lets you make a choice, lets you decide, okay, this is what I want to do next time I encounter X, Y, Z. So I just love that idea of like, if it's, if this whole idea is new to you, take a minute outside of the stressful moment to pause and reflect and talk to people and think so yeah. that next time you're faced with that moment, you've like, your, your expectations are already set a little different or you've decided beforehand, Hey, this is what I want to do with that. Dr. Rachel Peterman, Becky McKay. Thank you all. And we'll see you soon. Well, again, just a foundational principle there, being curious and the need for us to do that um, is immense. Uh, It keeps us as parents from overreacting to a lot of different things. If we can keep our first kind of emotional reactions at bay and learn how to be uh, curious about what's happening as opposed to um, being accusational or or oppositional right out of the gate, uh, man, it saves us so much drama and so much um, complications in our parenting. So hope that episode was helpful. Uh, Listen, we got them. We got them coming now. They're they're coming all through the summer. Our new connecting practices. We're going to be rolling them out um, all summer. And uh, our our episode for next week um, is great. It's already recorded, ready to go. And so we will be walking through our next um, connecting practice next week. But you'll have to tune in next week to find out what that is. And so uh, for everybody here at Empowered to Connect, for uh, Becca McKay, for Dr. Peterman, for Tana and Mo Ottinger, for the whole ETC team. Um, um, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and uh, Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm JD Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.